The Viridian Nutrition range of 200 plus award-winning products includes vitamins, minerals, herbs, nutritional oils, specialty supplements, tinctures and balms. All formulated to be helpful, efficacious and pure. By choosing our Viridian Nutrition range, you are one step closer to your goal of 100% wellness. Ethical vitamins with an organic heart. Available at all Browns outlets. Browns and you. There are billions of women passing through similar experiences all around the world and for whatever reason, we often feel like we're alone. It's time to make a point of discussing these topics from a range of viewpoints. These conversations surpass age, race, location. They are relevant to women everywhere. Welcome to The She Word. Conversations that women rarely have, but really should. MAC Cosmetics supports diversity, inclusion, and conscious beauty for all ages, all races, all genders. MAC Cosmetics Malta is proud to support these important conversations. Visit us at Tinye Street, Slima, and let us help you express your true self. Here we go. Welcome to the She Word, conversations that women rarely have but really should. And this is the last show of season two. But before you start getting yourself upset, we are going to be back with season three. And there's a whole host of shows coming out in the meantime. But today's show is really bringing the whole season to an end. We started off talking about women and relationships. And today we're going out with a bang because this long-awaited show is all about women and sex. <laughs> I'm super excited about this. Anna Catania, thank you so much for being back with us. You were on that very sh first show yes. of season one, we, yes. uh, season, season two. two. Yes. We talked about relationships. We talked about sex in some detail, but we knew we had to talk about this a little bit yes. more. <laughs> so you're one of the reasons that we're having this show oh. today. <laughs> you are a highly respected and recommended qualified counsellor specialised in the area of sex and relationships, offering counselling to individuals and couples who are having difficulty with sex, relationships and intimacy. As I said, you were the very first uh, show, part of the very first, sh first show of season two, which was on relationships. I'm so glad you're back with us. <laughs> I have to just say, before we go any further, every time you say clitoris in the first show, <laughs> my face, and I have to apologize in advance because I'm English and I get embarrassed about these things. But every time you say clitoris, I was like this. <laughs> so today's going to be interesting. Yes. <laughs> uh, Antonella Vijaya, thank you so much for being back with us, thank for you. making it to this show, <laughs> because we've had some adventures in the meantime. You're a grad student uh, undertaking a master's in neuroscience and studying sexual arousal. And this was brought up in the end of the very last show of season one where you came on the show, Women of the Future, mm -hmm. and you said, we need to talk about sex. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll get there. And here you are. So thank you so much for being with us today as well. Uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> you, can't, you can't talk about sex and not invite me. <laughs> well, I have to say, I sort of invited you by accident. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So inviting me for to talk about menopause, that was... That was on purpose. Organized. Absolutely. <laughs> this one was a little bit more of an accent, but you're a very familiar face in Malta because not only are you a television, television presenter, television producer, you're also a psychotherapist, and you joined us 
uh, in season one, as you just mentioned, talking about menopause. So I'm really glad that you're with us as well. And what I'm going to do is just get you guys to give a little bit more of a detailed intro. Antonella, we're going to come to you first. So just a little bit more information about yourself. Okay, so I'm Antonella. Um, and I'm currently doing this master's in neuroscience. Um, I, in general, my passion is holistic healthcare, focusing on mental health and sexual health. So when I knew I was going to do this master's, I, I knew that I wanted to make it about something that I'm really passionate about. And there came sexual arousal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Malta. It's not talked about enough. And when I, and you know, I, I wanted to be a pain in the ass to my supervisor. So why not? <laughs> Um, yeah, but I, I'm really happy that I made this decision. I've met so many interesting people along the way. Um, went to the Netherlands with uh, another like very good and very important sex researcher. And I'm just learning so much about the topic. And it's really cool. Um, now my scanning sessions are mostly done. It's It was an experience to do the scanning sessions. I Because the scanning sessions were... We're basically involving an MRI. Yes, I put people in an MRI scanner and showed them porn, basically. And <laughs> it was it's been a crazy experience. Like I, um, I, I was like editing porn at university and it was just really... Yeah, we had to contact IT services so that I don't get flagged. Always needs to use porn. Um, Did you? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we are still in the introductions here. Curious. But we're going to come to that in a second as well because yeah. you've got a lot to say on this topic. Yeah. But I want to let Anna to give a little bit more of an introduction to yourself. So um, my interest in sexual medicine started when I was working as a nurse in uh, a breast cancer clinic where many, many years ago, where, where I realized that although we have excellent medical and oncological care, and most of our uh, patients uh, were survive breast cancer, I mean, in Malta we have an 87.5% survivorship rate uh, where breast cancer is concerned. Unfortunately, when it comes to sexual and relationship problems, um, we treat the patient medically and oncologically and we send them home. And I started... Uh, uh, my interest in this area started from there. I then did a master's in counseling and then I specialized first in sexual me medicine and then and then sex therapy. And now I see all kinds of... <laughs> That's amazing. What a great journey. It what a, was what a, a great, great passion as yes, well. Yes. Marianne, a bit of more of an introduction. You are a familiar face in Malta. A lot of people know you and, and know where you've been. You've seen you on television, know your history, your story, but fill in the gaps for us. Well, I mean... When, when you asked me to come on, I, first of all, I've been working with people uh, for about 30 years. Um, uh, and I started off by, by working in the supporting as a, as a not only therapist, but I worked with addiction. And when you're working with people, with addicts, and when you're working with families, partners of addicts, you begin to see cross addictions. Um, we're living in a society now where addiction, addictive behavior is very common. So that's one aspect. When we talk about sex, there are cases where people are addicted to the dopamine rush and serotonin, and, and she will talk to us more about it for sure, that you get uh, during sex. Um, and it can be addictive, especially if you're lacking on other levels. However, now in my clinic, when I work on a therapeutic level, I work very often with couples. I work very often with people who are single. I work with problems such as promiscuity, 
um, the difficulty in being loyal, really understanding the difference between intimacy and passion, and uh, the difficulty people have in amalgamating both. So how do you amalgamate intimacy with passion? And also how people look for these things differently. There are some people who, for example, are going through a phase in their lives where they just want passion, whereas other, other people want intimacy. Mm. We tend to be a bit gender stereotyped, where we, we tend to assume that men want passion and women just want intimacy, which isn't the case, really and truly. No. And But we, I'm sure we, we'll talk yeah, about that down the line. We're going to break But these are all the interesting aspects yeah. I've come across over a period of 30 years of working with people. Sex is very important. And Again, this it's is great something that we're we can come sit to. down together yeah. and talk yes. about. Because I, because we are going to talk about all of these things. We're going to break this down. We're going to break this into to various sort of side conversations. But I want to kick off by saying that sex is obviously very important. None of us would be here unless someone had had sex, <laughs> yeah. and it's something that is such a part of us as human beings but one thing has become apparent that this is like many other topics that we talk about in the she word this is a topic that is rarely talked about and as we've gone through two seasons of the she word i'm always surprised at the amount of either embarrassment or shame or just not wanting to talk about areas of our lives that are absolutely fundamental. So first of all, I'm really glad that you're here and I'm really glad that we are just going to have a conversation about women and sex. And my first question to each of you is why don't we talk about it? Why do we find it so hard to talk about sex? I can start with you, Anna. It's a taboo. Um, it's especially, especially female sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, It's almost culturally accepted uh, that a man is, se is sexual, that a man expresses himself sexually. Um, it's almost um, uh, pushed for a man to be forward. Uh, but uh, women are labeled, um, are given labels um, like promiscuous, like slut, like uh, she sleeps around. It's 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 it's. Um... But if we are all the result of someone having <laughs> yes. sex, we can't pretend it doesn't happen. I know. Yes. But unfortunately, um, there has been this aura around uh, female sexuality. Um, in 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 our field, we we talk about the, the uh, Madonna whore complex, for example, where you'd expect uh, your uh, partner to be a virgin, that you expect your partner to show demeanor, to show... Um, uh, when, when actually uh, a woman is a, can be as sexual as a man and um, female sexuality in a relationship is as important um, and a, a, an important component as, as, as a male. So... It's, it's cultural. In Malta, more so, there's a level of um, the, the effect of Catholicism around yeah. female sexuality, um, which also gives it a, a, this taboo, this sin and, and the, the idea of dirt and, and um, uh, the idea of I am uh, not a good person if I am sexual, if I am... Um, Yeah. Yes. And and when I started doing this work, I know you're jumping to say something, but but when I started doing this work, I thought that I would only get older, 
women in my clinic, but the amount of younger uh, women I get with sexual difficulties, not because they have a religious belief, not because they believe uh, that sex is after marriage, but because their their mother told them that their their grandmother, and and they had this narrative growing up that you need to be pure, that you need to be um, show that you are uh, contain yourself sexually, and although they don't they don't really believe it, it still was a narrative they grew up with. The reason that I was sort of wanting to jump in there is because you said that it maybe it's a, a Malta related issue, and I would beg to differ because okay. I as a as a Brit who grew up in the UK, I've been here seventeen years, but my formative years were in the UK. And in the UK, it's not talked about. I have one single friend who I have had open conversations with since I was born. She's my oldest friend. And she's probably the only person until maybe five years ago that I would have really open conversations about sex with. I don't think it's just a Malta issue. There may be some things that are, are particular to Malta, but I think, to be honest with you, it's a it's a, an issue that affects many, many different nationalities, races, and women as well. I'm going to come to you, Marilyn, but at the moment, Antonella's over in the corner. She's nodding <laughs> frantically away. I mean, Anna just said it's not something that affects only older generations. Yeah, younger generations too. Uh, first of all, I agree a lot with what Anna said. And this, the fact that sex is not talked about is one of the things that motivated me the most to do this because Growing up, sex was seen as something that was really shameful, sinful, masturbation as well. I mean, we had an entire religion lesson, an entire like 45 minutes religion lesson telling us why masturbation is a sin. Like it's and we were what, maybe 13, 14. So it's just so stigmatized that it creates so much internalized like shame and guilt. And that can really mess up with your sex life, with your self-confidence and the way you see yourself and the way you see your body so this is creating so many issues in the world and as Anna said very perfectly for some reason men it's socially acceptable for men to be sexualized and to be like a sexual being but for women no unless it's for male pleasure but women are sexualized I, women but, visually yeah are sexualized yes that's that's the thing that bothers me so much it's that women are sexualized but they're not allowed to be sexual themselves it's like if you're if you're watching porn it's great lesbian sex is great but then if they are being um like a if there's agency if there's female agency that's bad you know, and female agency being like when the female is taking initiative, when the female is taking control over her as a sexual being, over herself as a sexual being. So I just that infuriates me. And um, yeah, basically, I just think we need to move away from this idea of sex being such a taboo. And I think that people at my age were in this really kind of pivotal era where we've grown up with you know, in our family, we don't really talk about sex with religious influences saying that sex is wrong and all of the, these things. But then we're growing up with social media as well, where we're seeing porn, where you can go on YouTube and hear some, a person talk about their sex life or sex in general. For example, for me growing up, I watched a lot of queer YouTubers who explained female anatomy and showed me that yes, you can just have a lesbian relationship and it's okay. So we're getting these very opposing kind of 
ideas. It's the background that you have where sex is a sin, but then social media and friends being more open where sex is okay. So it's you're you're it takes a while to kind of balance these and and you need to deal with the past baggage in order to be okay and to have sex and and you know, so there's just so much happening around this. And yeah, I mean Marilyn, yeah. it's really interesting listening to Antonella talking about mm. it being it a current it's, issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to talk about that there is a difference. I don't like to be totally, you know, like it's really terrible because it's not as terrible as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, I'm the eldest here. So way back in <laughs> the old birthday, times. Happy birthday, by the way. <laughs> 59. Um, but there is a difference. There is a change. Um, there is a change in the sense that when I was at school, uh, it was very repressed. Now, uh, my parents never spoke to me about sex either. It was taboo. Everything you're saying existed. However, it's very different in my household and it's very different with my children. We speak about sex. We talk about sex. Um my daughter finds me sometimes maybe too open. She's the one who is not like, whoa, slow down, you know? (laughs) But at the end of the day, when they need to talk to me, they talk to me and it's open. And for example, my son, when he was a teenager, I told him, are you watching porn? Literally, are you watching porn? And I did this in a way so that he he would tell me. (laughs) And I explained to him, I told him, listen, I explained to him what reality is. Because unfortunately, I think what has changed is the education about sex. So you have a situation where in a lot of families still um, people are not very comfortable in talking about sex, about masturbation. That's a very interesting topic because um, men will talk about masturbation, not when they're in a relationship. They'll pretend it stops. Um, But women will never admit or rarely admit to masturbation. Yes. Because we... No, they rarely admit to masturbation. That is true. However, I think what's important is it doesn't mean they don't do it. So at the end of the day, (laughs) they still do it. (laughs) So at the end of the day, it's not something they speak openly about. Is that a problem? It can be if you feel so repressed that you don't allow yourself to explore and do what you really enjoy. Repression, difficulty in talking about it. It is a problem if it's going to condition you in your behavior. So if I am having, for example, if I have, I'm working with someone who, it's beautiful the way clients come to me. They're very open about sex, both men and women. And let me make it very clear. It's true that men are more uh, open about their sexual exploits. However, let's keep in mind that when we go into the issue of abuse in sex, it is the men who do not talk about it and the women who do. So let's be very aware of that. Because when I did my study, my first thesis, and I looked into the abuse of uh, adolescents, children and adolescents, and I looked at the sexual aspect, because I looked at all types of abuse, but I looked at the sexual aspect, it was heartbreaking to see how many, and I looked at the link between drug addiction and sexual abuse, and it was heartbreaking to see how many of the boys who came for help, who had a drug problem, who were abused sexually, and never spoke about it. 
So there, men will talk about, like, I've had sex with so many men, but well, men will not talk about their impotence, men will not talk about not lasting long enough, men will not talk about not being able to have an orgasm unless they're only watching porn. There are very serious problems that men will find it very difficult sometimes when they have a problem, an infection. They will not go for help. So let's be aware there are taboos on both sides. I think what's very important is that people are aware that there are spaces where they can talk and be very comfortable. And one thing that I've seen a difference in, because I've been in the field for 30 years, that if you had to ask me 30 years ago, do people find it hard to talk about sex? I would tell you, oh my God, it's a very serious problem. 30 years down the line, to other people who still find it hard to talk about sex? Yes, but these people are most of the time people who find it hard to talk about other things too. Okay, so let's be aware also of the character. It's not just a social thing. Um, but I do find that there is a bit of a difference, that people are more open, more, more open to talk about affairs, are more open to explore. And this openness is bringing along problems too. Because we need to understand now, we've gone to two polarities. Let's look at Malta. We had the polarity on one side where there was the church, the, the, the sin, the dirt, the shame, the shouldn't, the shoulds. Okay, on one side. Now we've gone to the id, God bless, who are, you know, if I'm going to go on the psychological aspect, where people can be free, express yourself, feel free. So there are two polarities, the porn, the strip clubs, the this, the that, the social media. I want to see somebody naked. I want to see someone having sex. It would take me seconds. Where years ago, it would take me a really long time to find something that's a bit... So you have two polarities. It is our responsibility, especially us as professionals, especially you as a presenter, so that we educate and we come to the middle road so that instead of being repressed versus totally without boundaries, totally without a sense of who am I, what am I comfortable with, we find the middle road where we can balance things out. And that is the process of having an adolescent mind, moving into adulthood, moving into maturity. I'm just going to say, wow. I, <laughs> we've, we've come to the last show. This feels like we could have a whole season just about sex. Well, it's great, it isn't sex. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think sex is lovely. If at the end of the day, this is the beautiful thing. I think sex is so beautiful. And people, if they manage to reach a point of being intimate and passionate and comfortable with who they are and what they're doing and how they feel, That is well, this leads me very nicely into my next question. So we've established that it's difficult to, to talk about whether you're an older woman, whether you're a young person. We've established that there's shame in talking about it. And we've also established that it's actually, it is easier to talk about than it used to be. But those po polarities yeah. are causing problems. And we're going to break this down as well. But before we go into, into that, delving into that a little bit deeper... Um, in a recent interview with the prestigious publication, The Daily Mail, Robbie Williams told the paper that him and his wife no longer have a sexual relationship after having had three kids. That coming off testosterone injections meant, meant that his libido was lowered, but that they're happy. And he said in this statement, after all, You know, there is no sex after marriage. Now, I'm just going to say, I'm just, I'm, oh, I'm no. just got married. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> I've, ever. Been, I've been married for zonk years, of course. I mean, but, but sorry, Al, but. <laughs> before we 
delve into breaking down what the issues are or what the pleasures are or what you know how we can learn about being sexually fulfilled i just want to touch on how important is sex because a relation i've also seen other stud studies that have said in in a happy relationship sex only represents 17% we had talked about this mm -hmm. in the very first show but how important is sex and how important is it that sex is good sex it depends on the couple it yes. depends on yeah. how important yeah. it is to the couple exactly and we need to make a distinction and most of my work is this distinction between what what is sex because in the western world we talk when we say sex we talk about sexual intercourse and sex can be so much more so around this this interview with with robbie williams it doesn't mean that they're not being intimate in fact they did say that there was still yeah. intimacy it means that most probably there, there, there is no, no, not much sexual desire, and maybe there, there is a problem with erection, a problem with, with uh, painful sex, and and maybe sexual intercourse is, is not happening. But sex can be so much more, and unfortunately, because we concentrate so much on penetrative sex, when we say the word sex, we lose the the pleasure aspect, the intimacy aspect, the connection aspect, the discovering each other's bodies, the the learning how to pleasure each other, and the play, the play, yeah. the, the the play before the 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 connection after, um. So it really depends on what the couple wants out of the sexual relationship, and what they mean. With when when I have a couple and they tell me we're not having sex. Most of the time, they mean they're not having sexual intercourse. They're not having penetrative sex. And so we need to, part of the education, as, as Mariella is uh, saying, of, of us as professionals to open this definition and talk about intimacy mm -hmm. and talk about connection and talk about pleasure. Because we are so focused on intercourse that we... And performance. And performance. <laughs> that it becomes a performance. And then there, there, there is where the problems with performance anxiety come. Uh, a, a client gets a, a, an erection and loses it because he's, he, he's in his head thinking, I'm going to lose my, my, my erection. I'm not pleasuring my partner. And, and for a woman. So. And, and, exactly. and uh, the, the idea around women with painful sex and with vaginismus and, and not being able to have intercourse. So we need to widen this. this. But in, but in romantic films, yeah. which is what we all watch <laughs> in the absence of, you know, of, of a really open education, we would watch a film and the sex is always brilliant, no? Yeah, but that's I mean, how never it works. See, you never see bad that's sex. A, that's a, awkwardness. It's, it's part of the, our education. Mariella mentioned we have polarities and we do have a polarity now. Um, most of our kids are getting their sex education from porn. Yes. Exactly. And they need to yeah. understand yeah. that that is a form of entertainment. It's not reality. Yeah. Entertainment. That's not reality. <laughs> You're not going to go into an office and find a woman ready to have sex. On the photocopier? <laughs> That's not yeah. reality. I'm sorry, so, I'm just so... looking at Mariela's face for a moment. <laughs> She's obviously thought about the photocopier. Yeah, so the next question is, how do you know they'll be on a photocopier? <laughs> I, you know, one person at the table knows an awful lot about porn right now, and that's Antonella, <laughs> because you've studied this. Now, yeah. when I was growing up, porn was in the form of a magazine. You yes, had to go I remember in. through the... You, I always saw you at the magazine shop. 
<laughs> and I used to kick you out because you were too young. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but it was. It, it was a, a process that you went through. You had to go into a shop. You had to reach up to the top shelf. You embarrass to yourself. Embarrass oh, yourself God. and take that. And that was all that there was. And of course, with the... the the age of the internet, with the age of media being readily available, we knew this was going to happen. Yeah. And at the time when this first happened, when this explosion, excuse the pun, first happened, <laughs> it was going, it, it was going to be uh, very much um, uh, measured and censored. And but it seems that's not the case. But but you were nodding furiously when Anna was talking there about relationships and expectations of relationships, because obviously. Yes. Um, first of all, it, what you mentioned about like the sex, like what exactly is sex is so interesting to me because I swear if I if I grab five of my friends and tell them what is sex, they will have five different answers because someone will yeah. say penis yeah. in vagina equals sex. Then other another person, probably me, would say then lesbians can't have sex in that case, you know, which also I have gotten that one of my ex-boyfriends. I, I had I was kind of like. You know, I, I I was very confused when I was growing up and I was like, I think I need to explore with women. And I was told that I chose the wrong sexuality because lesbians <laughs> cannot have sex because there is no penis, you know. So there is that idea centering around penis is important for sex. Then other people will say, if I'm naked with my partner and I'm just kissing them, that is sex to me because I'm naked. So there are so many different ideas of what makes up sex. And I think that communication is, is what's important, even for the question that you had of everyone has different libido levels. Everyone views sex in different ways. So the most important thing is communication. Maybe right now, me and my partner, like neither of us would want to have sex. And that's okay because neither of us feel like it. Maybe we just prefer different quality time or cuddling or something, but it's important to say it. Well, you've just hit the nail right on the head because you've just said everybody has a different opinion of what sex is and yeah. obviously different expectations. Does yeah. it matter or do we have to have a definition of this is sex so that we all understand? No, it? What, what, what matters is that people understand that they have every right to see sex as they want to see exactly. sex. In yeah. the sense that I have a right that if I feel that because I'm naked and I'm next to someone and I'm not having intercourse, but I'm kissing someone, and that if that for me is sex, then that for me is, is sex. Exactly, and it's fine. At the end of the day, there's a level, there are boundaries that when you cross them for you, it defines a sexual experience. A sexual experience. Maybe we should talk about it as experience, yeah. but you mentioned something that is so important. Communication, yeah. communication. The, the saddest thing, which I think still exists till today, and we can get out the porn and the pictures <laughs> and the openness and the rights and all this and the equality. Bottom line, both women and men, very, it's not very easy for people to be comfortable to talk about sex. I mean, I'm really admiring you because you're still very young. I mean, we're we're in the field, and uh, but you're young and you start and and you're a grad and you're really doing an interesting research, and you're talking openly about sex. Yeah. Honestly, I think if partners, if people, even on one night stands, if they're able to communicate, how many people, for example, on a one night stand are embarrassed to ask the other person, "Listen, I'd like to use a condom. I would like safe sex." How many people are uncomfortable in actually communicating the basics? Yeah. 
And how many people are, for example, find it hard to communicate and say, I don't like this, or is this is comfortable for me, or this doesn't turn me on. You know, communication, it's so important. She really, for me, hit the name. I'm kind of rewriting my questions as we go because I wanted to ask about good sex. Okay. And just on the basis of, of, I mean, I assume that good sex, a good sexual encounter, whether it be, as you said, a one-night stand or whether it be a long-term relationship, is what every person aspires to. But just you all having said that, there is not one definition of what sex is means that the definition of what good sex is obviously has to be different and as that's well. Why, so and how that's do why, we define that? Is that's it why orgasm? people. Is but it that's why many times people end up seeing each other again. That's why many times people end up wanting to be with somebody else again. And then besides the sex, there has to be other things. And that's what keeps it longer and longer and a relationship is formed. However, that's a very interesting question because... It doesn't mean that if you happen to meet someone and have sex and you don't really enjoy it, it doesn't mean that person is not good in sex. It means that that person is not compatible with you. Mm -hmm. This is very important because so many people blame themselves. If, for example, how many times would a woman uh, end up with a man and the man has difficulty, has impotence? It could be as a stressful day. Hang on a second, we're talking about women. women, How many women women don't orgasm when they have sex for the first time? Most women don't orgasm. And again, I'm going to mention the most important thing is communication. Because at the end of the day, I'll tell you how many people, (laughs) how many women fake orgasms. Yes. How many women? Stop nodding, all of you. Stop nodding. (laughs) (laughs) I quoted a a a huge research study in the first uh, episode when we did women and relationships, and I'll quote it again. Uh, They did this huge research study around the orgasm gap. 95% of heterosexual uh, men have orgasm when they have sex. 92% of gay men 88% 88% of lesbian women and 65% of six heterosexual women. So statistically, statistically, one of us at the table is doing better than the rest of us. <laughs> no, or is, or is, if we communicate, we'll be fine. Drew. Yes. <laughs> yes, I would like to say something about that as well, because that statistics freaked me the fuck out when I was starting to have sex. Because there is that idea that lesbian women are are better at pleasuring other women, which would make sense because you, I guess you know your body more. You probably you communicate can, more. And there's more communication for sure. But it creates that like performance anxiety because... Really? Yes. Of because course. Especially when it's still in the beginning. Expectations. You're like, oh my God, lesbian sex has to be better. So I must be really good at it. But you don't know what the f*** you're doing. <laughs> but, but hang so, on a second. This comes back to this. Just I'm jumping in there because... Because you mentioned this performance anxiety. Doesn't every one of us have performance anxiety? No, it's true. Wait, wait. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't know. Depends. Your age with who you are. You're going to tell me that's somebody who's married to somebody in love and you have a good relationship. No, when we start is where you you cut me off there. Okay. Because (laughs) I would say that each one of us, when we have our first sexual encounter with a partner, wants it to be amazing. We want it to be great. And that expectation is 
insane. And for instance, when a when a woman loses her virginity, the chances are it's not going to be great. No, most of the time it's not. But the expectations are that you're going to be amazing on the yes. first date or whenever you decide and to have. It's really difficult. And I mean, thank you for saying um, that it's like it's good for me to talk about sex. And I appreciate that. But I think the reason why I talk about it so much is because I struggled with it so much. Yeah. Like I... It's insane. The amount of internalized homophobia, internalized shame that I had to work through, that I still have to work through. I had a relationship where I I was so bad at like the sexual aspect of it. I I was so I was freaking out so much. It was like the the first woman I was I was with like properly and I just couldn't get myself to communicate that listen, I passed through some trauma and that's making it harder for me to Act sexually, like and, relax, yeah. like she would be very open sexually, and I just pull back because I, I, I wanted to be good, and I, I didn't want to talk about it. Like there was just so much confusion and so much pulling back from my end and inability to communicate. That, I mean, <laughs> then it didn't really work out, which I perfectly understand. I don't even know how she stayed with me for that long, kind of, you know. But it, so it takes a lot to. to build through the confidence. I'm still learning as well. And talking about it is because when I was growing up, I wanted to hear people talk about this. I wanted to hear about the awkwardness wanted and, the, normalized. and the imperfections of sex, you know, because I like I give sex ed workshops. Right. And one time someone told me, but I don't think you're the right person for it because you sometimes you say you're more into girls and then you end up having sex with a guy one time or or you're not sure about these things. And I'm like, but this is precisely Reality. why I, I need to talk about it, because I've given workshops and people came up to me and told me, thank you for saying that it's not always going to be good sex. Thank you for saying that you, you yeah. know, you can be confused about your sexuality, that you can think you're more into girls, but then still have sex with a guy sometimes or vice versa. Like we are not talked about the imperfections related to sex because who wants to go up to someone and tell them I had sex with someone, but neither of us came and, you know, it wasn't the best, but I still want to do it again. People will only come up to you and say, I had sex and it was the best sex of my life. You But know? this comes back to what Anna just said about where we get our education from. Yeah. And if it's from pornography or if it's just even from the movies, yes. expectations are insane. Yes. In fact, in the field of sexology, we're now talking about good enough sex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The concept of good enough, especially in long-term relationships. It's not going to be fireworks every time. It, at one point, it can just be a quickie and... And, uh, and photocopier. And, and a photocopier. <laughs> at another yeah. moment, it can be a 45 minutes of really awesomeness and connection and intimacy. So we're, we're talking about good enough sex, and that is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Because we're human beings, we're very complex. When we come to have sex, we bring with us the day we had, the stress at work, the struggles with the kids... Um, the the, uh, the promotion we're worried about not taking, the interview with the badly in, the exam that is coming up. <laughs> and this all influ influences how present we're going exactly, to be. Yeah. I'm, in fact, in fact mm. clients who come with sexual problems at times don't have sexual problems when they're on holiday. Of course, they're both really relaxed. Yeah. They can take their time. They can take a whole morning in. And no one is, they don't need to get the kids up. 
for school mm-hmm. and they don't need to be at work at 8 a.m. That's why communication is so important. Yeah. Because if you don't communicate, and it's not just communication about sex, it's communication about where you're at right now in your life. I mean, this is the whole thing about communication. It's, I mean, there's communication about sex. And I think that needs to be really supported. That's when we talk about education, that's the angle we really need to zoom into now. It's being comfortable talking about sex and being comfortable with your sexuality. And I'm, it, it, we really need to highlight, sexuality is very different depending on the age. When I listen to um, your experience, you know, at your age, and I look at my experience today, you know what I mean? It's such a journey. It is such, and it's, it's, it's such a journey of what interests me today is not what interested in me when I was 18 years old. It's very different. You know? I'm, I'm going to press a pause for a second. I know you've got something else yeah. to say, but I just want to press a pause for a second. I'm going to keep doing this throughout this show because I want to actually just define and just recap on what we've said. So we've talked about good sexual relationships can be different depending on what you want and depending on what period in your life you're at, Yes. but largely depends on good communication and being able to define what is good sex for you against what's good sex for me and everybody else at the table. And to share. And and it might be a quickie and it might be 45 minutes of intimacy without sexual intercourse. Now, if communication is the key, I'm pretty sure that we've got people watching or listening to this show who are either a young person who's embarking on a new relationship with whatever gender or, or sexuality that that is their preference, might be an older person who's been in a relationship for a long time, or it might be somebody who's struggling. How do you start that communication? If communication we've identified is incredibly hard to talk about sex, but it's essential, how do you open that conversation? How do you start? Wait. Just so we can recap, so yeah. just give pointers. Yeah. Well, you, can, you can speak, you can speak. How <laughs> shall we start communicating? <laughs> What do we do? <laughs> well, first of all, if you talk a lot, you shut up and you let Antonella talk first. Good? Go, go, Antonella. Um, so I think one of the most important things is to understand yourself first and foremost. Um, what Anna was saying, I think, um, is related a lot to, I'm pretty sure you know, but the dual control model of sexual arousal, right? Which basically says that sexual arousal has these two inputs, kind of, or components, sexual excitation and sexual inhibitions. It's like you're driving a car and you have the accelerator and the brake. And most of the time, people focus a lot on the sexual excitation. So what's Which turning is the accelerator. you on? Yes, like what's turning you on? What's what's contributing to you wanting to have more sex and these things and so they try to increase that maybe watching porn like more foreplay stuff like that but people tend to forget about the break about the inhibition which is the trauma that is leading you to maybe not be as aroused or not be able to communicate the even you know work issues at work issues with your friends like all these things that are contributing to you being turned off And if you just keep on trying to press the accelerator, but the brake is there and a huge, huge brake is there, it's not going to work. So, so how yeah. do you talk about yeah, that? I think it's under, you need mm-hmm. to understand what your brakes and what your accelerators are. And then even start the conversation. Even if you watch a movie and there's a sex scene and you really like what they're doing, be like, let's watch this movie. You know, I kind of like what there is there. Like you start 
entering the conversation slowly, even if maybe you don't want, you're not ready to talk about sex specifically, but you know that this thing that your friend once told you or that an ex once told you is contributing to that inhibition, there's then also, you talk about yeah. that. So you're saying there's, about finding an easy lead-in. Yes. Yeah, but there's, there's also something else that I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like to say. There are a massive amount of people who never watch porn and have good sex. Yes. Massive amount of people actually who don't watch porn mm-hmm. and have good sex. The truth is this, how often have we seen, how often have we seen the most beautiful model actress being, uh, having her husband or her partner, for example, having an affair. And you say, she's so beautiful, how can... The truth is that good sex happens and lasts. I'm not talking about the one night stands because the one night stands is very visual, very physical, very, there's a lot of foreplay to it in the sense of a the flirting, etc. The accelerator yeah. goes gas down. And frankly, most of the time, if you're a bit intoxicated or if you're in an environment, this all adds to the fuel. The communication is very sexual and very direct. Most of the time for a one-night stand, those are the the factors. However, in a long-term relationship, the truth is this, that you, when you are attracted to your partner after a very long time, it's not about the body, it's not only about the underwear, and it's not only about the porn that maybe you watched and you're going to fantasize about while you're having sex or what you're going to talk about or communicating what you like. It's about loving the mind of the person, thinking this person is so great and really admiring and acknowledging how fantastic this person is and thinking, you know, like if I look at my husband and I think of my husband as someone who's intelligent, who's really done a lot for me, who really goes out of his way, who's there for me, who has my back, who thinks of me, who looks at me in the morning when I'm looking like shite and still says, I love you, I'm going to work now. That for me is a turn on because that for me is, it's the mind, you understand? So the communication sometimes needs to be, needs to start with understanding that two people connect together. After a long time, it is not just about how you look. That is the least thing. It's about the person. It's about the mind. It's about the admiration. It's about the feeling you have when he holds you, hugs you. That is communication. And then, yes, you will be comfortable and safe enough and you feel loved enough to be able to tell this person, you know what, today I really feel like a massage, for example. And one thing... So give me a practical, but I, I'm, I'm really after practical tips because okay. I agree with everything that you've just said. Okay. And I think for women specifically, Anna, we're giving you a few more minutes to prepare yourself for this. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but But I I totally agree because me as a woman I'm definitely you know there has to be physical attraction but I'm definitely more turned on by the mind that said a practice you can get to the point where you haven't had communication for so long that you don't know how to take that first step to talk about it it. and Antonella just said you know maybe if you're watching a film Or you see but something I would, you like, you know, just comment on I it. I always find that the one of the best ways is to be very honest in the sense, listen, you know, like, first of all, set the environment. Go out to dinner. Don't talk at home. Quiet place. Because at home then you get up and you do the dishes and, and your kid calls you and somebody calls you and you're always distracted or you run away, you know. Uh, your husband might run away. Your wife might, you know, it's like no distractions. You're sitting opposite each other at table, quiet. And you can, I I believe in honesty. I want to talk to you about something, but I find it really hard. 
This is not easy for me to talk about. But, you know, it would be nice if when we have sex, if there's a bit more foreplay. You know, it would be nice if you're a bit more gentle. It would be nice if, for example, you can talk about, you know, can we talk, how do you feel about oral sex? You know, you never, we never do oral sex. And like, you know, things like this where, well, how do you feel about it? What do you think about it? I'm not comfortable at talking about, admit, uh, be open mm -hmm. about the difficulty you have. Don't pretend this is honky-dory, I have a soul in hand and we're going to... No. <laughs> I mean, in anything. I mean, I've learned this a very long time ago. In anything I do, if I'm uncomfortable, I will say, I'm really feeling uncomfortable, but I'm going to go ahead with this anyway. It's not easy when your partner is having a problem. You do need to be very careful. Um, if, for example, because people sometimes... It, it's very dangerous if you say the wrong thing. And I think that's what makes people hesitate too. I mean, if somebody, for example, is, is find, going through a phase where they're, they're finding it hard to have an orgasm, a woman, I'm talking about a woman, or for example, a woman's getting older, going through menopause, and is not as ready to have sex as when she was 21, you know? So she needs a bit more foreplay. It's not easy to say, you know, I'm getting really old here. You're going to have to work harder at this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's literally, these are, these are things that are very realistic. And when you're talking about these things, it's not easy. So honestly, the most, the best thing to do is, one, be honest, say it's not easy to talk about it. However, it is important to you. This could be one of the reasons why you refuse, more or less, because it takes you longer to get into the mood because of things you're going through, because of your age, whatever, you know, or inexperience. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I do at my age, but um, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road this, on this show. Anna, you, you were nodding frantically throughout that conversation. I wanted to hand over to you. We've, we've identified that communication is really important. Antonella has said about knowing yourself and knowing what you need to express and also leading gently in. Mariella has said, you know, setting the scene and being brutally honest and just being honest about your own reluctance to talk about it yeah. and laying the groundwork. From your point of view, this is what you do every day. Um, honesty is really important. I fully agree with Mariella. And owning um, your feelings about it. Mm -hmm. So the way we present the conversation would go around um, something like, I feel that, um, I feel disappointed that I'm not um, reaching an orgasm. Can we try and work this out? So rather than putting the onus on, on the partner mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. and saying, you're not, in, you're, 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 you orgasm and go to sleep and don't take care of my needs around this and I'm getting very frustrated. Rather than um, blaming, Owning. There's so much blame in sex. Yes. Yes. And then, there, then there would be a, a, a difficulty around that because um, performance anxiety will be uh, introduced. And um, obviously... No uh, one likes to be blamed. No, no, no one likes defensive. to feel demasculated or, or, or less, less, less of a man or less of a woman because they're not giving sexual pressure to their partner. So owning, being honest, but owning what you feel. Um, secondly, one a very practical tip um, I, I tell my clients is actually why you're having uh, a moment of sexual intimacy with your non-verbals indicates that you're liking this or not. 
or move a hand away or press a hand um, to, to, to touch tight, um, harder, for example. So the non-verbals, while the sexual activity is going on, can also, or, or verbally, you say, mm, I'm not feeling comfortable you touching my breast. Can you touch... Uh, my clitoris or my ass instead. Or, you or... said that word for me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> and you did not blush so much. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, the non-verbals are, are also, um, and, and, and the verbals, but sometimes it's, it keeps the mood. If Even you... leading, eh? Yes. You can get a hand and you can yes. lead it. It's, it's yeah. The non-verbals keep the mood rather than verbally, like commanding. It might it might feel as a command. So non-verbals really, really help uh, your partner be attuned to, to your needs, your sexual needs. And maybe talking after um, uh, a moment of intimacy, what you liked, what you wanted more of, what were you doing there, and, and um, again, communicating. Um, one also very important point that Mariella mentioned that I'd like us to open up a bit is the concept of responsive arousal. So, um, because we go through changes as women, there's childbirth, there's uh, uh, menstruation and the, or the hormones that go around with menopause. that because of, uh, there's menopause. Um, a woman's uh, sexual libido and sexual desire fluctuates along her lifespan. And at times she is in a place where she does not want to have sex at all because of the biological changes that are happening in her body. It doesn't mean that um, sex cannot happen. We talk about the concept of responsive arousal, um, which means that you don't feel the need to have sex, you don't feel the desire to have sex, but if you start playing with your partner and it's safe and you feel comfortable, usually your body starts respons responding. And that is one way that we treat, if, if I can use a, a bit of a medical word, um, low sexual desire and discrepancy in sexual desire in, in couples. Mm -hmm. See, again, you've bled very nicely into another point that I wanted to touch on. And it kind of goes before that, because I think it's really important to talk about the changes. We as women experience through our lives yes. and also the stages that we're at whether we're in a relationship whether we're yes. single just which makes single a and exploring as well. and so on. because yeah. women who are single have every as have as much ability to be sexually fulfilled by themselves mm -hmm. as they do in a relationship yes. which leads me on again to this question and i think you touched on it antonella if we don't know as women, what turns us on, how on earth are we going to expect somebody else to navigate that as well? I'm going to stick with you, Anna. Yes. Is it not a case of we need to know our own bodies first in fact, before we ask somebody else yes. to be part of our sexual pleasure? In fact, many female sexual problems, um, that's the first port of call. So... If if there is if I get a woman with who's having um, painful sex, if I get a woman with low sexual desire, uh, if I get a woman who is having difficulty to engage in sexual activity with with their partner, usually step one is getting to know yourself. So we start with what we call mirror work. Uh, we ask uh, women to 
a sex therapist to actually get a, a, a mirror, a small winner, and look at their clitoris, look at their external um, uh, genitalia, look at their inner labia, outer labia. Because the truth is this, for a man, a man sees his penis every single day yes. when they go to the toilet yeah. and it's there visible. I never thought of that. Yes, this but is the women do the, not. The, um, sorry for cutting you off, but this is the, like the arousal disconcordance yes. that's present in women, but less so in men. Because as she said, like... We don't know how we look like down yes. there. Because we sit down to, 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 uh, to go to the toilet and we don't... Yes, we don't. It changes after childbirth, especially if the baby... Um, you had an episiotomy or, 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 or a tear, your external genitalia change. But why is it important to know what it looks like? Because we need to get to know oh, ourselves. Your body, yeah. we, because we need to know, for example, <laughs> for example, oh, if the... Uh, the photocopier, remember the photocopier. <laughs> there are women whose anatomy is, uh, in a way, that the internal labia cover the clitoris. And... Because the clitoris is the center of female sexual pleasure, mm -hmm. it has around, the latest research shows that it has around 10,000 nerve endings. You see, now you're coming to the basics. It comes from your clitoris. clitoris. Yes. yes. That's where everything stems from. Yes. Yes. So we've got to get that bit right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and then everything goes from it. See, I love that. Antonella's going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And Mariela's just with this big smile on her face, like, <laughs> no more wine you for Mariela. You didn't know this. No more wine for Mariela. not, again, we don't normally have these conversations. So it's actually good to, to as I've gone through this whole show, to put it on the table. And accept how different we look. Um, a couple of years back, and I use this all the time in my lectures, a sculpture uh, uh, decided to do a um, hundred uh, sculptures of different external yes, genitalia, genitalia. and he called it the wall of vaginas anatomically he called it not in the right Very way it should have been called the wall of vulvas but it doesn't matter but the idea was that he wanted to make a, to bring awareness of how, of how different we look because there has been such an increase in cosmetology and in, in cosmetic surgery around arranging the labia because we see yes, these yes, yes, perfect yes. sex workers with little labia and uh, internal labia in. <laughs> and little little external labia and perfect clitoris and women want to look like that so he wanted this wall and it's actually a sculpture of 100 different external genitalia that shows how different and we do look different yeah. i show it i sh i blow it up on the screen when i'm lecturing to, to my my students Your classes are very when i'm doing anatomy and physiology to, to, to the psychology students because we need to know and i tell them uh, it's really important as future psychologists as future psychotherapists as future counseling counselors to know the anatomy and physiology of our sexual our sexuality or the sexual response cycle because that will inform then the sexual problems and the sexual difficulties you'll be seeing in clinic. So, uh, so knowing ourselves is even at the basis of anatomy is so, so important. Know, knowing then what arouses us when, when we self-touch, we call it self-sensate in sex therapy and, and, and um, uh, mindful masturbation that you know while you're masturbating what exactly you like, where you like to be touched. Because unless we know that about about ourselves, we cannot teach it to our partners. And our I partners... Mean, that, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. You, you can't ask someone else to navigate a, an intricate yeah. system of, of... Especially if their system is not like yours. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you're talking about 
for women. I've never really had heard anyone sit down and say that all of our bits and pieces down there are different shapes yes. and different sizes and so on. Because you just accept that that men's anatomy is going to be different. You accept that. But our bodies never... are all different too. Yeah. Sorry? Our whole bodies are all different. Exactly. Absolutely. But I've not really heard anyone sit down and describe the fact that every single woman has it has her her whether it be her vagina, her labia, whatever it is, yes. is going to be looking different. Yes. I, and you're obviously you're studying mm-hmm. sexual pleasure. Yeah. During the course of your studies and in and the, the energy that you're putting into this topic, how many women would you estimate know how to make themselves satisfied how to satisfy their sexual pleasures because surely as we've just said that's where it starts yeah so I mean I I don't know about the exact number but I think less than there should be like it's it's very difficult because I think less than I think people don't I think women don't admit it openly yes they, so it's difficult to get yes, statistics and and not something is, we don't talk about there is this um what I had mentioned before as well this the discordance between So what is subjective sexual arousal and genital sexual arousal? Um, There, you know, because like men... Break that down for me. So subjective sexual arousal is um, kind of your mental excitement. You're you're into this, you know. And then genital sexual arousal is simply your body's physiological response to a sexual stimuli. So there's two two different elements there. Exactly. But you're suggesting that, from what I understand, that, that there are less women who understand their own yes. sexuality and what makes them Yeah, because, I mean, a man can say, oh, my, my penis is hard, whatever, like, you you can see that. But with a woman, even, like, for example, in one of my questionnaire questions, it's, like, what do you experience when you feel sexually aroused? And there ranges from tingling in genitals or pulsing or um, faster heart rate and things like that. And it's really interesting to see people ticking different things, some tick them all, some tick one. And it's just like, I think we need to be more in tune with what is, what do I feel when I am sexually aroused? It's, it, as women, it, you know, what has been said as well, it's that we're not taught to be in tune with this. Even as you said, men, you know, when you're teaching a little boy to go to the bathroom and everything, like they can see their penis, they can hold it. it there, It's such it's a normal body part for them as anything else. Yet with women, if there's a little girl, like the amount of times I hear, oh, don't touch there, that's that's bad, you know? Like we're, we're like conditioned from a young age to avoid our vulva, our, our genitals, you know? And Mary, listen, sorry, I got to stop yeah, you. Yeah. You're 21 years old and you're saying this. I mean, I could understand it if it was my generation you were going to say maria lie <laughs> i was going to say that it's your birthday i'm being touchy um excuse the pun um but i could understand if it was an older generation saying that there was some embarrassment or shame associated with a, a woman exploring herself or even a young girl exploring herself but really right now now in 2023 well Let's let's put it into perspective. Let's put it into perspective. First of all, we call them private parts. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and there is a level of privacy. And there needs to be a level of privacy. I believe in healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think this is where the mix-up, I'm going to go back to what I mentioned before. Huh? This is where the mix-up is. Because I think it's not as much as we should be open in the sense that if we're feeling repressed, if we need to talk about things, 
we need to feel safe and comfortable to talk about them. If we want to explore our body, we need to do that and be uh, aware that it's okay. If we want to try masturbation, we need to not have that guilt pressured onto us. So these are all very, very valid and very important. However, sometimes when you push and you're too open and too fast, you could make people become more repressed and more uncomfortable. You embarrass them. Let us be very aware that we need to be very aware that we, again, you don't go from A to Z. Mm. It has to be a process. Not everybody's comfortable about talking about masturbation. Maybe I don't want to come out and go, well, this morning it was really lovely. I had a masturbation and I really had a great <laughs> orgasm. Who the hell wants to talk about that? And maybe I am comfortable talking about it. Maybe I will wake up in the morning and talk about it. But maybe you're not comfortable hearing me talk about it. And I have to respect that. So let us be very aware, huh? because that is something we have to keep in mind. And I know and I'm hoping that you are going to ask us questions along the line of um, when is it right to say no? Always. Always, you know, so we need know, to be I very, you're going to get into that. I know, that, I'm I not hope. even going to, I'm going to yeah. let you lead into that because yeah. I think that's something. No, that's very important because, for example, I get couples, for example, or for example, you get situations where there are people who would like this kind of sex and they're open about it. It's a bit kinky, it's a bit this, fine, no problem. However, let me make it very clear and I will always make it very clear. When two people are together, well, two, three, four, but let's focus on two, shall we? When two people are together and one person has things that they enjoy and the other person's not into it, the first thing is we spoke about it, communication, and we spoke about the best ways to communicate. If there isn't that, don't even go to step two. Don't even go to step two. If you're not even capable of talking about what you enjoy, don't go to that. Step two is seeing how If the person's not into it or doesn't understand it, is there enough respect, safety? Do we have enough boundaries, healthy boundaries to be able to explore? Let me see if I could enjoy it. But at the end of the day, everybody in any relationship, in any instance, has the right to say, no, this is not my thing and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. This is why it's important at the end of the day that people, when they come together, they build a relationship. Trust me, people do not agree with each other in relationships, not just about sex. And then there needs to be a decision. Am I ready to adapt that I will not do this kinky stuff because my wife or my husband doesn't enjoy it? Am I ready to accept that my wife doesn't like traveling to the East mm -hmm. and I love traveling to the East? It's not just about sex. We adapt no, to our partners in sex and in other things. But there has to be the communication and the respect. But let me make it really, really clear. At no point in time, no point in time, should anybody ever do something in sex that they do not want to do. You could be the partner, you could be the husband, you could be the best. Nobody has the right to make you do something you do not enjoy to do, enjoy doing, and you do not want to do. That is very, very important. If you have a good enough relationship, then you can uh, try and explore. If you have a good enough relationship and you are secure enough about your body, look how everything is amalgamated that we're talking about. If I know my body and I'm secure enough, maybe, okay, let's try it. Let me try. Uh-uh, no, no, this is not my thing. Sorry, you know? And that does not justify the partner going, okay, let me try it with someone else. Loyalty is loyalty. 
we have to remember that when we, two people come together, they are never the same and they never like exactly the same things. This is why you need to talk about these things and you can never force someone to do something they don't like to do. You, so you, I really yeah. wanted to clarify because that. Because you, you did slide into a question I was going to broach on on a new term that's come to me through the, the she word, which is vanilla. <laughs> I was not familiar with vanilla before. And not the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also stratocelli. And also uh, <laughs> and also, you know, kink. We also had a show about sexuality and gender. And Maya herself was talking about a, a kink and and it's what some people enjoy and it's what some people turn yeah. on. And of course I wanted to ask you, you know, if what if my partner wants to get down and get down and kinky? And I don't feel like it. And and as you were saying that, no is everybody's entitled to say no. And both of these ladies were emphatically nodding. So this is one thing that is there on the table that is non-questionable. Would we not agree? Yes, yeah. yes. It's not yes, questionable. Yes, yes. No, um, in sexual relationships, uh, consent is super important. Mm. Consent and feeling safe. Um, and... As Mariella well said, as with other stuff in the relationship, we're talking about long-term relationships here, mainly. Um, you sit down, you discuss. I might not like to eat uh, Japanese food. My husband might love it. We we discuss it. We maybe I try it once, twice. If I don't like it, my partner. Exactly. Uh, should accept Explain that. to me why it's easier to talk about Japanese food than it is to talk about your sexual because of all <laughs> because of the sexual because of this program because it's a taboo because we we are ashamed. We, it's not we, only we, a taboo. So I'd like to be a bit positive. It's also it's not only a taboo. There is a, it's there also is a level of, a level shame of yeah, but not only it. because I don't feel shameful at all about talking about sex and I never have from a very young age. But there are there are such a things also as boundaries. I mean, I, I notice that I'm very comfortable talking about sex. Not everybody's comfortable talking about sex. You have to respect that. Yeah. Yes. So it's not just because but I feel it's a taboo, but because people get, I mean, for them it's private. Yes. Is that a taboo or is it also you have a right to privacy? But, but, we, but her question was, um, why is it easy to talk with my partner about eating preferences, restaurant preferences, but private. not so much. But that's private. But 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 we're talking about uh, with someone I trust here, with with okay. her in a relationship. Not yes, I I fully understand what you're saying. I I even when I'm I'm in therapy, I gauge what Oosh. I the, the language I use, Parade and I reflect exactly. what the couple is saying. If the couple uses. Uh, my tesor for their private parts. I use. I do not say vulva. I say tesor. So it's a way of respecting what's happening in the therapy. If a, if a couple is really uncomfortable um, discussing different uh, wants wants to experiment, but it's uncomfortable. I don't in the first session bring out my sex toys and show them uh, if a couple is open and wanting to see them. And I ask permission. Would you like to see? What what you can use and so yes when uh -huh. we are with That's strangers and we are in therapy not with our partners however but what I wanted to say some couples then decide to open up the relationship so if there is a no and uh, I want uh, I'm really uh, into a particular fetish and uh, I cannot orgasm unless uh, my partner wears 
leather um, trousers and and real high heels and and my partner is refusing to do that we might discuss mm. opening up the relationship but a word of caution um, sometimes when a relationship starts monogamous and exclusive and then one of the part just one of the partner wants to open it up not both partner wants to open it up sometimes the other partner accept accepts it reluctantly not mm. to lose the relationship so when we're talking about now open relationships exactly. and having um, an, a, a threesome or another, someone else coming in with a relationship that started monogamous and exclusive, a lot of conversation needs to be happening yeah. Yeah. there. That's a lot of because um, are we opening up the relationship because I can't get what I need sexually from you? Are you okay with that? Um, uh, uh, are you not okay with that? Um, do I still want to open up the relationship even if you're not okay with and that? And it so, can change. So it's, you think it's, you'll be okay yes. and then you won't be. Yes. yes. So, it's so flexible. Like there's there's no one thing that fits, fits all. all. Like no. it's so flexible. And yeah, you can. <laughs> but I think I just wanted to touch on something that, that Anna just mentioned. It's something you touched on as well, Antonella. And that is, I think, I think it's important to say that it's very unlikely that there are very many women who at some point haven't given sex to someone they didn't want to or weren't particularly inclined yeah. to. Very few women have ever had a sexual encounter that was unsatisfying. And very few women have been led to do things that they weren't comfortable with. I think if you are a woman who's never done those three things, you're exception to the rule. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because as much as we're empowering women to say no, it's also important to acknowledge that women do do that, have done that, and that's not the choice that we would want for anyone. But to just say, I think we've all had bad sex with someone we didn't want to have doing something we didn't want to do. And I don't think there's one single person I would ever meet who would say no I've never done that and if you are that person you're incredibly fortunate because for most of us we've all had those bad experiences and I think what you were saying very powerfully there Mariella is that we minimize those experiences to the point where we feel empowered enough to say that's not for me yeah. and the trauma that comes with these experiences of course, of yes. course. and the trauma you trauma. you you, you um, inherit in your next relationship yeah. that yes. then brings about yeah, sexual How trigger. important is that? It's How important is that? If because you, it, it will be a trigger then. Absolutely. If you've had that experience, you take it with you to your next relationship, which is exactly what you said. Antonella, you're yeah. 21 years old and you already talked about the fact that you, you took trauma into your next relationship. But we are coming to the end. <laughs> I know because we could already? sit here and talk about <laughs> sex forever. But I, I really, we will address those. Don't, don't worry about it. We will be coming back to season three and talking about some of the spin-offs from this. And I think we're going to sit around this table with some darn good wine and we're going to have another show about sex because I feel like we've only just got under the bedclothes. We haven't even gotten our clothes off together. <laughs> so I'm going to ask each of you really to paraphrase what we've spoken about today into real legitimate and achievable goals for any woman in relation to her sex life, her sex life with her partner, or if she is single and on her own, because 
women more now are on their own and 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 being fulfilled in their own lives without being in a relationship so starting with you Antonella what would your what's your closing words what would be your closing passionate goal for all women regarding sex I think to work on loving yourself and your body and understanding how your body works and what feels pleasurable for you and communicating that is really important and also if you are single or dating around or something like that it is okay to to understand that you may not be sexually compatible with everyone because obviously like any other person i've had good sex i've had bad sex like and it's okay and it doesn't make you any less good any less adequate it just means sometimes it's going to work and other times it's not and that is fine and that is why you can date and test things and and there's always a solution there's always something you can do you can try an open relationship you can try introducing new things in a like there is never it's never the end of the story you can keep on going you can keep on trying and just enjoy it with yourself with other people it's sex is not just about sex it's about so many things but i think one of the main important things is empowerment you should feel empowered by it and that's that's the goal you know and do whatever is necessary for you and for the people involved to get to that so wise for 21 with 21. us ladies <laughs> sitting around the table going we were all did the same thing we're all sitting there going good grief <laughs> anna you've got to follow that up and <laughs> yes i do um i'm going to be quite simple um i i i would like to to say to whoever is hearing us um you matter and by you matter your sexual pleasure matters as well so i would encourage um our listeners to look out for what what they like sexually what pleases them what they enjoy um and not do it because a partner is asking but do it for themselves because sexuality is a, a very integral part of who we are as human beings of who we are as women um and i i really believe that we matter and our sexual pleasure matters sex <sighs> thank you would anna, you like anna, thank you for that <laughs> i i would the last thing i would say is first of all i think sex is a beautiful thing i think people have suffered because of sex so sex is a look at the all the time you have two extremes yeah. i think people have really suffered because of sex um because um they question themselves they judge themselves uh because it's at the end of the day um something that can happen don't be afraid to ask for help don't be afraid to speak with people who are open minded and will not judge you that's the first thing sex does not need to be an isolated event sex encompasses many other things mm-hmm. it encompasses sex is a lot of the time passionate passion beautiful beautiful thing but the beauty of intimacy even even on a very simple one night stand you can have a beautiful intimate few hours it's sometimes a lot of people look for the sex but actually they'll be craving the intimacy don't isolate sex on its own put it together with other beautiful things a partnership two people coming together letting go of everything stop thinking stop thinking about all the stresses all the things you need to do let it go just um melt it is the melting with somebody else 
And you might say, yeah, okay, sex is also masturbation. But even in masturbation, people will fantasize. And trust me, they will be melting with someone else. Um, normally on a level much higher than the norm, but they'll be melting with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, but don't isolate sex on its own. It amalgamates so many other beautiful things. Even the foreplay, the joking, the flirting. That's so, so beautiful. And it's part of life. It's part of living and energy. So our responsibility is to um, make it a beautiful thing, make it a responsible thing with the right boundaries. And as professionals, our responsibility is to empower people to find their sex, sexual journey and make it a beautiful thing. Ladies, and I'm also glad that you finished with that because I will make sure that your details are available to anybody listening or watching this show because we obviously we want to offer support as well. I'm going to first of all say, Chin Chin, thank you so much to you ladies. Thank you for coming and talking about something that is one of the hardest topics to talk about. I really appreciate that. And for everybody who's following the She Word, make sure you subscribe, whether you're listening to this on Spotify or watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe because we will be having more of these conversations coming up in the future, the conversations that women rarely have, but really, really should. Cheers to you. Cheers. Cheers. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Bomba. Thank you. Holy cow. <laughs>